CD2. Chapter 3 Hunt the Hag Miss Tick removed her hat, reached inside and pulled a piece of string. With little clicks and flapping noises, the hat took up the shape of a rather elderly straw hat. She picked up the paper flowers from the ground and stuck them on carefully. Then she said, Phew, you can't just let the kid go like that, said the toad who was sitting on the table. Like what? She's clearly got first sight and second thoughts. That's a powerful combination. She's a little know-it-all, said Miss Tick. Right, just like you. She's impressed you, right? I know she did, because you are quite nasty to her, and you always do that to people who impress you. Do you want to be turned into a frog? Well, now, let me see, said the toad sarcastically. Better skin, better legs, likelihood of being kissed by a princess 100% improved. Why, yes, whenever you're ready, madam. There are worse things than being a toad, said Miss Tick darkly. Try it some time, said the toad. Anyway... I rather liked her. So did I, said Miss Tick briskly. She hears about an old lady dying because these idiots thought she was a witch, and she decides to become a witch so that they don't try that again. A monster roars up out of her river, and she bashes it with a frying pan. Have you ever heard the saying, the land finds its witch? It's happened here, I'll bet. But a chalk witch. Witches like granite and basalt. "'Hard rock all the way down. "'Do you know what chalk is?' "'You're going to tell me,' said the toad. "'It's the shells of billions and billions of tiny, "'helpless little sea creatures that died millions of years ago,' "'said Miss Tick. "'It's tiny, tiny bones. "'Soft, soggy, damp. "'Even limestone is better than that. "'But she's grown up on chalk.' And she is hard, and sharp too. She's a born witch, on chalk, which is impossible. She bashed Jenny, said the toad. The girl has got talent. Maybe, but she needs more than that. Jenny isn't clever, said Miss Tick. She's only a grade one prohibitory monster, and she was probably bewildered to find herself in a stream when her natural home is in stagnant water. They'll be much, much worse than her. "'What do you mean, a grade one prohibitory monster?' asked the toad. "'I've never heard her call that.' "'I am a teacher as well as a witch,' said Miss Tick, adjusting her hat carefully. "'Therefore, I make lists. I make assessments. "'I write things down in a neat, firm hand with pens of two colours. "'Jenny is one of a number of creatures invented by adults "'to scare children away from dangerous places,' she sighed. If only people would think before they make up monsters. You ought to stay and help her, said the toad. I've got practically no power here, said Miss Tick. I told you, it's the chalk. And remember the red-headed men. A knack Mac Fiegel spoke to her. Warned her. I've never seen one in my life. If she's got them on her side, who knows what she can do? She picked up the toad. Do you know what'll be turning up? she continued. All the things they locked away in those old stories. All those reasons why you shouldn't stray off the path, or open the forbidden door, or say the wrong word, or spill the salt. All the stories that gave children nightmares. 
all the monsters from under the biggest bed in the world. Somewhere, all stories are real and all dreams come true. And they'll come true here if they're not stopped. If it wasn't for the Knack Mac Fiegel, I'd be really worried. As it is, I'm going to try to get some help. That's going to take me at least two days without a broomstick. It's unfair to leave her alone with them, said the toad. She won't be alone, said Miss Tick. She'll have you. Oh, said the toad. Tiffany shared a bedroom with Fastidia and Hannah. She woke up when she heard them come to bed and lay in the dark until she heard their breathing settle down and they started to dream of young sheep shearers with their shirts off. Outside, summer lightning flashed around the hills and there was a rumble of thunder. Thunder and lightning. She knew them as dogs before she knew them as the sound and light of a storm. Granny always had her sheepdogs with her, indoors and out. One moment they would be black and white streaks across the distant turf, and then they were suddenly there, panting, eyes never leaving Granny's face. Half the dogs on the hills were Lightning's puppies, trained by Granny aching. Tiffany had gone with the family to the big sheepdog trials. Every shepherd on the chalk went to them, and the very best entered the arena to show how well they could work their dogs. The dogs would round up sheep, separate them, drive them into pens, or sometimes run off or snap at one another because even the best dog can have a bad day. But Granny never entered with thunder and lightning. She'd lean on the fence, with the dogs lying in front of her, watching the show intently and puffing her foul pipe. And Tiffany's father had said that, after each shepherd had worked his dogs, the judges would all look nervously across at Granny aching to see what she thought. In fact, all the shepherds watched her. Granny never, ever entered the arena because she was the trials. If Granny thought you were a good shepherd, if she nodded at you when you walked out of the arena, if she puffed at her pipe and said, That'll do, you walked like a giant for a day. You owned the chalk. When she was small and up on the world with Granny, thunder and lightning would babysit Tiffany, lying attentively a few feet away as she played and she'd been so proud when Granny had let her use them to round up a flock. She'd run about excitedly in all directions, shouting, Come by, and there, and walk up, and glory be the dogs had worked perfectly. She knew now that they'd have worked perfectly whatever she'd shouted. Granny was just sitting there, smoking her pipe, and by now the dogs could read her mind. They only ever took orders from Granny aching. The storm died down after a while, and there was a gentle sound of rain. At some point, Ratbag the cat pushed open the door and jumped onto the bed. He was big to start with, but Ratbag flowed. He was so fat that, on any reasonably flat surface, he gradually spread out in a great puddle of fur. He hated Tiffany, but would never let personal feelings get in the way of a warm place to sleep. She must have slept, because she woke up when she heard the voices. They seemed very close, but somehow very small. Grevens, it's all very well saying, find the hag, but what should we be looking for, can you tell me that? All these big jobs look just the same to me. Not totally we Jody Doon't efficient said she was our big, big girl. A great help that is, I didn't think. They're all big, big girls. You pair of dafties, everyone knows a hag wears a pointy bonnet. So they cannot be a hag if they're sleeping then. Hello, whispered Tiffany. There was silence, embroidered with the breathing of her sisters. 
but in a way Tiffany couldn't quite describe. It was the silence of people trying hard not to make any noise. She leaned down and looked under the bed. There was nothing there but the gazunda. The little man in the river had talked just like that. She lay back in the moonlight, listening until her ears ached. Then she wondered what the school for witches would be like, and why she hadn't seen it yet. She knew every inch of the country for two miles around. She liked the river best, with the backwaters where striped pike sunbathed just above the weeds, and the banks where kingfishers nested. There was a heronry a mile or so upriver, and she liked to creep up on the birds when they came down here to fish in the reeds, because there's nothing funnier than a heron trying to get airborne in a hurry. She drifted off to sleep again, thinking about the land around the farm. She knew all of it. There were no secret places that she didn't know about. But maybe there were magical doors. That's what she'd make if she had a magical school. There should be secret doorways everywhere, even hundreds of miles away. Look at a special rock by, say, moonlight, and there would be yet another door. But the school now, the school. There would be lessons in broomstick riding, and how to sharpen your hat to a point, and magical meals, and lots of new friends. Is the bairn asleep? Aye, I cannot hear her moving. Tiffany opened her eyes in the darkness. The voices under the bed had a slightly echoey edge. Thank goodness the gazunda was nice and clean. Right, let's go to this wee pot then. The voices moved off across the room. Tiffany's ears tried to swivel to follow them. Hey, see here, it's a hoose. See where wee chair is and things. They found the doll's house, Tiffany thought. It was quite a large one, made by Mr Block, the farm carpenter, when Tiffany's older sister, who already had two babies of her own now, was a little girl. It wasn't the most fragile of items. Mr Block did not go in for delicate work. But over the years, the girls had decorated it with bits of material and some rough and ready furniture. By the sound of it, the owners of the voices thought it was a palace. "'Hey, hey, hey, we're in the cushy stuff new. There's a bead in this room, with pillows. Keep it doing. We don't want any of them to wake up.' Cravens, I'm as quiet as a wee moose. Ha! Oh, there's soldiers. What do you mean, soldiers? There's redcoats in the room. They found the toy soldiers, thought Tiffany, trying not to breathe loudly. Strictly speaking, they had no place in the doll's house, but Wentworth wasn't old enough for them, and so they got used as innocent bystanders back in those days when Tiffany had made tea parties for her dolls. Well, what passed for dolls? Such toys as there were in the farmhouse had to be tough to survive intact through the generations and didn't always manage it. Last time Tiffany had tried to arrange a party, the guests had been a rag doll with no head, two wooden soldiers and three quarters of a small teddy bear. Thuds and bangs came from the direction of the doll's house. I got one! Here, pal! Can your mummy saw? Stitch this! I got! He's got a heat on him like a tree! Crivens, there's a body here with no heat at all! I no wonder, cause he is a bear. Feel my boot, ya washoon. It seemed to Tiffany that although the owners of the three voices were fighting things that couldn't possibly fight back, including a teddy bear with only one leg, the fight still wasn't all going one way. I got him, I got him, I got him. You're gonna get a gubber, ya wee had disease. Oh, someone bit my leg, someone bit my leg. Come here, ach, you're fighting yourselves, ya idiots. I'm fed up with your perries. Tiffany felt rat bag stir. He might be fat and lazy, but he was lightning fast when it came to leaping on small creatures. She couldn't let him get the... whatever they were, however bad they sounded. She coughed loudly. "'See!' said a voice from the doll's house. "'You woke them up! I'm off-ski!' Silence fell again, and this time, Tiffany decided after a while, 
It was the silence of no one there, rather than the silence of people being incredibly quiet. Ratbag went back to sleep, twitching occasionally as he disembowelled something in his fat cat dreams. Tiffany waited a little while, and then got out of bed and crept towards the bedroom door, avoiding the two squeaky floorboards. She went downstairs in the dark, found a chair by moonlight, fished the book of fairy tales off Granny's shelf, then lifted the latch on the back door and stepped out into the warm midsummer night. There was a lot of mist around, but a few stars were visible overhead and there was a gibbous moon in the sky. Tiffany knew it was gibbous because she'd read in the almanac that gibbous meant what the moon looked like when it was just a bit fatter than half full, and so she made a point of paying attention to it around those times, just so that she could say to herself, "'Ah, I see the moon's very gibbous tonight.' It's possible that this tells you more about Tiffany than she would want you to know. Against the rising moon, the downs were a black wall that filled half the sky. For a moment, she looked for the light of Granny Aching's lantern. Granny never lost a lamb. That was one of Tiffany's first memories, of being held by her mother at the window one frosty night in early spring, with a million brilliant stars glinting over the mountains, and, on the darkness of the downs, the one yellow star in the constellation of Granny Aching, zigzagging through the night. She wouldn't go to bed while a lamb was lost, however bad the weather. There was only one place where it was possible for someone in a large family to be private, and that was in the privy. It was a three-holer, and it was where everyone went if they wanted to be alone for a while. There was a candle in there, and last year's almanac hanging on a string. The printers knew their readership and printed the almanac on soft, thin paper. Tiffany lit the candle, made herself comfortable and looked at the book of fairy tales. The moon gibbered at her through the crescent-shaped hole cut in the door. She'd never really liked the book. It seemed to her that it tried to tell her what to do and what to think. Don't stray from the path. Don't open that door. But hate the wicked witch because she is wicked. Oh, and believe the shoe size is a good way of choosing a wife. A lot of the stories were highly suspicious, in her opinion. There was the one that ended when the two good children pushed the wicked witch into her own oven. Tiffany had worried about that after all that trouble with Mrs Snapperly. Stories like this stopped people thinking properly, she was sure. She'd read that one and thought, Excuse me, no one has an oven big enough to get a whole person in. And what made the children think they could just walk around eating people's houses in any case? And why does some boy, too stupid to know a cow is worth a lot more than five beans, have the right to murder a giant and steal all his gold? Not to mention commit an act of ecological vandalism. And some girl who can't tell the difference between a wolf and her grandmother must either have been as dense as teak or come from an extremely ugly family. The stories weren't real. But Mrs Snapperly had died because of stories. She flicked past page after page, looking for the right pictures, because although the stories made her angry, the pictures, ah, the pictures were the most beautiful things she'd ever seen. She turned a page, and there it was. Most of the pictures of fairies were not very impressive. Frankly, they looked like a small girl's ballet class that had just had to run through a bramble patch, but this one was different. The colours were strange and there were no shadows. Giant grasses and daisies grew everywhere, so the fairies must have been quite small, but they looked big. They looked 
like rather strange humans. They certainly didn't look much like fairies. Hardly any of them had wings. They were odd shapes, in fact. In fact, some of them looked like monsters. The girls in the tutus wouldn't have stood much chance. And the odd thing was that, alone of all the pictures in the book, this one looked as if it had been done by an artist who had painted what was in front of him. The other pictures, the ballet girls and the romper-suit babies, had a made-up, syrupy look. This one didn't. This one said that the artist had been there. At least in his head, Tiffany thought. She concentrated on the bottom left-hand corner, and there it was. She'd seen it before, but you had to know where to look. It was definitely a little red-haired man, naked except for a kilt and a skinny waistcoat, scowling out of the picture. He looked very angry. And, Tiffany moved the candle to see more clearly, he was definitely making a gesture with his hand. Even if you didn't know it was a rude one, it was easy to guess. She heard voices. She pushed the door open with her foot to hear them better, because a witch always listens to other people's conversations. The sound was coming from the other side of the hedge, where there was a field that should have been full of nothing but sheep, waiting to go to market. Sheep are not known for their conversation. She snuck out carefully in the misty dawn and found a small gap that had been made by rabbits, which just gave her a good enough view. There was a ram grazing near the hedge, and the conversation was coming from it, or rather somewhere in the long grass underneath it. There seemed to be at least four speakers who sounded bad-tempered. Crevens, we want a coo beastie, nor ship beastie. Ach, one's as good as t'other. Come on, lads, and grab a hold her leg. Aye, all the coos are in the shed. We take what we can. Keep it doon, keep it doon, will you? Ach, who's listening? Okay, lads. Yan, tan, tethra. The sheep rose a little in the air and bleated an alarm as it started to go across the field backwards. Tiffany thought she saw a hint of red hair in the grass around its legs, but that just vanished as the ram was carried away into the mist. She pushed her way through the hedge, ignoring the twigs that scratched at her. Granny Aching wouldn't have let anyone get away with stealing a sheep, even if they were invisible. But the mist was thick, and now Tiffany heard noises from the hen house. The disappearing backwards sheep could wait. Now the hens needed her. A fox had got in twice in the last two weeks, and the hens that hadn't been taken were barely laying. Tiffany ran through the garden, catching her nightdress on pea sticks and gooseberry bushes, and flung open the hen house door. There were no flying feathers, and nothing like the panic a fox would cause, but the chickens were clucking excitedly, and Prunes, the cockerel, was strutting nervously up and down. One of the hens looked a bit embarrassed. Tiffany lifted it up quickly. There were two tiny blue red-haired men underneath. They were each holding an egg, clasped in their arms. They looked up with very guilty expressions. "'Ach, no,' said the one. "'It's the baron. She's the hag.' "'You're stealing our eggs,' said Tiffany. "'How dare you, and I'm not a hag!' The little men looked at one another, and then at the eggs. "'What eggs?' said one. "'The eggs you are holding,' said Tiffany, meaningfully. "'What? Oh, these, these are eggs, are they?' said the one who'd spoken first, looking at the eggs as if he'd never seen them before. "'There's a thing. And there was us thinking it was uh, stones.' "'Stones?' said the other one nervously. "'We crawled under yon chooky for a wee bitty warmth,' said the first one, "'and there was all these things we thought they were stones, "'which was why the poor fowl was clucking all the time.' "'Clucking?' said the second one, nodding vigorously. "'So we took pity on the poor thing and put the eggs back.'
said Tiffany slowly. The one who hadn't been doing much talking nudged the other one. Best do as she says, it said. It's a hang of You cannot cross an aching, and this one's a hag. She think Jenny and no one had ever done that before. Aye, I didn't think of that. Both of the tiny men put the eggs back very carefully. One of them even breathed on a shell of his and made a show of polishing it with the ragged hem of his kilt. No harm done, mistress, he said. He looked at the other man, and then they vanished. But there was a suspicion of a red blur in the air, and some straw by the henhouse door flew up in the air. And I'm a miss, shouted Tiffany. She lowered the hen back onto the eggs and went to the door. And I'm not a hag. Are you fairies of some sort? And what about our ship? I, I mean sheep, she added. There was no answer but a clanking of buckets near the house, which meant that other people were getting up. She rescued the fairy tales, blew out the candle and made her way into the house. Her mother was lighting the fire and asked what she was doing up, and she said that she'd heard a commotion in the hen house and had gone out to see if it was the fox again. That wasn't a lie. In fact, it was completely true, even if it wasn't exactly accurate. Tiffany was, on the whole, quite a truthful person, but it seemed to her that there were times when things didn't devise easily into true and false, but instead could be things that people needed to know at the moment and things that they didn't need to know at the moment. Besides, she wasn't sure what she knew at the moment. There was porridge for breakfast. She ate it hurriedly, meaning to get back out into the paddock and see about that sheep. There might be tracks in the grass or something. She looked up, not knowing why. Ratbag had been asleep in front of the oven. Now he was sitting up, alert. Tiffany felt a prickling on the back of her neck and tried to see what the cat was looking at. On the dresser was a row of blue and white jars which weren't very useful for anything. They'd been left to her mother by an elderly aunt, and she was proud of them because they looked nice but were completely useless. There was little room on the farm for useless things that looked nice, so they were treasured. Ratbag was watching the lid of one of them. It was rising very slowly, and under it was a hint of red hair and two beady staring eyes. It lowered again when Tiffany gave it a long stare. A moment later she heard a faint rattle, and when she looked up, the pot was wobbling back and forth, and there was a little cloud of dust rising along the top of the dresser. Ratbag was looking around in bewilderment. They certainly were very fast. She ran out into the paddock and looked around. The mist was off the grass now, and skylarks were rising on the downs. If that sheep doesn't come back this minute, she shouted at the sky, there will be a reckoning. The sound bounced off the hills, and then she heard, very faint but close by, the sound of small voices. What did the hag say? said the first voice. She said there'd be a reckoning. Oh, Willie, 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 we're in trouble now. Tiffany looked around, face red with anger. We have a duty, she said to the air and the grass. It was something Granny Aching had said once, when Tiffany had been crying about a lamb. She had an old-fashioned way of speaking, and had said, We are as gods to the beasts of the field, my jigget. We are the time of their birth and the time of their death. Between times we are duty. We have a duty, Tiffany repeated, more softly. She glared around the field. I know you can hear me, whoever you are. If that sheep doesn't come back, there will be trouble. The larks sang over the sheep folds, making the silence deeper. Tiffany had to do the chores before she had any more time to herself. 
That meant feeding the chickens and collecting the eggs, and feeling slightly proud of the fact that there were two more than there might otherwise have been. It meant fetching six buckets of water from the well and filling the log basket by the stove, but she put those jobs off because she didn't like doing them much. She did quite like churning butter, though. It gave her time to think. When I'm a witch with a pointy hat and a broomstick, she thought as she pumped the handle, I'll wave my hand and the butter will come just like that. And any little red-headed devils that even think about taking our beasts will be... There was a slopping sound behind her, where she'd lined up the six buckets to take to the well. One of them was now full of water, which was still sloshing backwards and forwards. She went back to the churning as if nothing had happened, but stopped after a while and went over to the flour bin. She took a small handful of flour and dusted it over the doorstep, and then went back to the churning. A few minutes later, there was another watery sound behind her. When she turned round, there was, yes, another full bucket. And in the flour on the stone doorstep were two lines of little footprints, one leading out of the dairy and one coming back. It was all Tiffany could do to lift one of the heavy wooden buckets when it was full. So, she thought, they are immensely strong as well as being incredibly fast. I'm being really very calm about this. She looked up at the big wooden beams that ran across the room, and a little dust fell down as if something had quickly moved out of the way. I think I ought to put a stop to this right now, she thought. On the other hand, there's no harm in waiting until all the buckets are filled up. "'And then I'll have to fill the log-box in the scullery,' she said aloud. "'Well, it was worth a try.' She went back to the churning and didn't bother to turn her head when she heard four more sloshes behind her. Nor did she look round when she heard a little whoosh-whoosh noises and the clatter of logs in the box. She only turned to see when the noise stopped. The log-box was full up to the ceiling, and all the buckets were full. The patch of flour was a mass of footprints. She stopped churning. She had a feeling that eyes were watching her. A lot of eyes. Er, thank you, she said. No, that wasn't right. She sounded nervous. She let go of the butter paddle and stood up, trying to look as fierce as possible. And what about our sheep, she said. I won't believe you're really sorry until I see the sheep come back. There was a bleating from the paddock. She ran out to the bottom of the garden and looked through the hedge. The sheep was coming back backwards and at high speed. It jerked to a halt a little way from the hedge and dropped down as the little men let go. One of the red-headed men appeared for a moment on his head. He huffed on a horn, polished it with his kilt and vanished in a blur. Tiffany walked back to the dairy looking thoughtful. Oh, and when she got back the butter had been churned. Not just churned, in fact, but patted into a dozen fat golden oblongs on the marble she used when she did it. There was even a sprig of parsley on each one. Are they brownies? she wondered. According to the fairy tales, brownies hung around the house doing chores in exchange for a saucer of milk. But in the picture they'd been cheery little creatures with long pointy hoods. The red-haired men didn't look as if they had ever drunk milk in their lives, but perhaps it was worth a try. Well, she said aloud, still aware of the hidden watchers, that'll do. Thank you. I'm glad you're sorry for what you did. She took one of the cat's saucers from the pile by the sink, washed it carefully, filled it with milk from today's churn, then put it down on the floor and stood back. "'Are you brownies?' she said. The air blurred. Milk splashed across the floor and the saucer spun round and round. "'I'll take that as a no, then,' said Tiffany. 
So what are you? There were unlimited supplies of no answer at all. She lay down and looked under the sink and then peered behind the cheese shelves. She stared up into the dark, spidery shadows of the room. It felt empty. And she thought, I think I need a whole egg's worth of education in a hurry. Tiffany had walked along the steep track from the farm down into the village hundreds of times. It was less than half a mile long, and over the centuries the carts had worn it down so that it was more like a gully in the chalk and ran like a milky stream in wet weather. She was halfway down when the susurrus started. The hedges rustled without a wind, the skylarks stopped singing, and while she hadn't really noticed their song, their silence was a shock. Nothing's louder than the end of a song that's always been there. When she looked up at the sky, it was like looking through a diamond. It sparkled and the air went cold so quickly that it was like stepping into an icy bath. Then there was snow underfoot, snow on the hedges and the sound of hooves. They were in the field beside her. A horse was galloping through the snow behind the hedge that was now, suddenly, just a wall of white. The hoofbeats stopped. There was a moment of silence and then a horse landed in the lane, skidding on the snow. It pulled itself upright and the rider turned it to face Tiffany. The rider himself couldn't face Tiffany. He had no face. He had no head to hang it on. She ran. Her boots slipped on the snow as she moved, but suddenly her mind was cold as the ice. She had two legs slipping on ice. A horse had twice as many legs to slip. She'd seen horses try to tackle this hill in icy weather. She had a chance. She heard a breathy, whistling noise behind her and a whinny from the horse. She risked a glance. The horse was coming after her, but slowly, half walking and half sliding, steam poured off it. About halfway down the slope, the lane passed under an arch of trees, looking like crashed clouds now under the weight of snow. And beyond them, Tiffany knew, the lane flattened out. The headless man would catch her on the flat. She didn't know what would happen after that, but she was sure it would be unpleasantly short. Flakes of snow dropped on her as she passed under the trees, and she decided to make a run for it. She might reach the village. She was good at running. But if she got there, then what? She'd never reach a door in time, and people would shout and run about. The dark horseman didn't look like someone who'd take much notice of that. No, she had to deal with it. If only she'd brought the frying pan. Here we hag! Stun it, you still right new! She stared up. A tiny blue man had poked his head up out of the snow on top of the hedge. There's a headless horseman after me, she shouted. He'll no make it any. Stand you still. Look him in the eye. He hasn't got any eyes. Crivens, are you a hag or no? Look him in the eyes he hasn't got. The blue man disappeared into the snow. Tiffany turned round. The horseman was trotting under the trees now, his horse more certain as the ground levelled. He had a sword in his hand, and he was looking at her with the eyes he didn't have. There was the breathy noise again, not good to hear. The little men are watching me, she thought. I can't run. Granny aching wouldn't have run from a thing with no head. She folded her arms and glared. The horseman stopped as if puzzled, and then urged the horse forward. A blue and red shape, larger than the other little men, dropped out of the trees. He landed on the horse's head between its eyes and grabbed an ear in both hands. Tiffany heard the man shout, 
Here's a face for dandruff for you, you bogled, courtesy of the big gun. And then the man hit the horse between the eyes with his head. To her amazement, the horse staggered sideways. All right, shouted the tiny fighter. Big toughy is you. Once more we're feeling. This time the horse danced uneasily the other way, and then its back legs slid from under it, and it collapsed in the snow. Little blue men erupted from the hedge. The horseman, trying to get to his feet, disappeared under a blue and red storm of screaming creatures, and vanished. The snow vanished. The horse vanished. The blue men, for a moment, were in a pile on the hot, dusty road. One of them said, "'Oh, Crivens, I kick myself in my own heed!' And then they, too, vanished. But for a moment, Tiffany saw blue and red blurs disappearing into the hedge. Then the skylarks were back. The hedges were green and full of flowers. Not a twig was broken, not a flower disturbed. The sky was blue, with no flashes of diamond. Tiffany looked down. On the toes of her boots, snow was melting. She was strangely glad about that. It meant that what had just happened was magical, not madness. Because, if she closed her eyes... She could still hear the wheezy breathing of the headless man. What she needed right now was people and ordinary things happening. But more than anything else, she wanted answers. Actually, what she wanted more than anything else was not to hear the wheezy breathing when she shut her eyes. The tents had gone. Except for a few pieces of broken chalk, apple cores, some stamped-down grass and, alas, a few chicken feathers... There was nothing at all to show that the teachers had ever been there. A small voice said, Psst. She looked down. A toad crept out from under a dock leaf. Miss Tick said you'd be back, it said. I expect there are some things you need to know, right? Everything, said Tiffany. We're swamped with tiny men. I can't understand half of what they say. They keep calling me a hag. Ah, yes, said the toad. You've got knack-mack feagles. "'It snowed, and then it hadn't. "'I was chased by a horseman with no head, "'and one of the... what did you say they were?' "'Nag Mac Feagles,' said the toad, "'also known as Pictses. "'They call themselves the Wee Free Men. "'Well, one of them head-butted the horse. "'It fell over. "'It was a huge horse, too.' "'Ah, that sounds like a feagle,' said the toad. "'I gave them some milk, and they tipped it over. "'You gave the Nag Mac Feagles.' Milk. Well, you said they're pixies. Not pixies. Pictses. They certainly don't drink milk. Are they from the same place as Jenny? Tiffany demanded. No, they're rebels, said the toad. Rebels against who? Everyone. Anything, said the toad. Now pick me up. Why? Because there's a woman at the well over there giving you a funny look. Put me in your apron pocket, for goodness sake. Tiffany snatched up the toad and smiled at the woman. I'm making a collection of pressed toads, she said. That's nice, dear, said the woman, and hurried away. That wasn't very funny, said the toad from her apron. People don't listen anyway, said Tiffany. She sat down under a tree and took the toad out of her pocket. The feagles tried to steal some of our eggs and one of our sheep, she said, but I got them back. "'You got something back from the Nagmac Feagle?' said the toad. 
Were they ill? No, they were a bit... Well, sweet, actually. They even did the chores for me. The Feagle did chores, said the Toad. They never do chores. They're not helpful at all. And then there was the Headless Horseman, said Tiffany. He had no head. Well, that is the major job qualification, said the Toad. What's going on, Toad, said Tiffany. Is it the Feagles who are invading? The Toad looked a bit shifty. Miss Tick doesn't really want you to handle this, it said. She'll be back soon with help. Is she going to be in time? Tiffany demanded. I don't know. Probably. But you shouldn't. I want to know what is happening. She's gone to get some other witches, said the toad. Uh, she doesn't think you should. You'd better tell me what you know, toad, said Tiffany. Miss Tick isn't here. I am. Another world is colliding with this one, said the toad. There. Happy now? That's what Miss Tick thinks. But it's happening faster than she expected. All the monsters are coming back. Why? There's no one to stop them. There was silence for a moment. There's me, said Tiffany. Chapter 4 The Wee Free Men Nothing happened on the way back to the farm. The sky stayed blue, none of the sheep in the home paddocks appeared to be travelling backwards very fast, and an air of hot emptiness lay over everything. Ratbag was on the path leading up to the back door, and he had something trapped in his paws. As soon as he saw Tiffany, he picked it up and exited round the corner of the house at high speed, legs spinning in the high-speed slink of a guilty cat. Tiffany was too good a shot with a clod of earth. But at least there wasn't something red and blue in his mouth. Look at him, she said. Great cowardly blob. I really wish I could stop him catching baby birds. It's so sad. You haven't got a hat you can wear, have you? said the toad from her apron pocket. I hate not being able to see. They went into the dairy, which Tiffany normally had to herself for most of the day. In the bushes by the door there was a muffled conversation. It went like this. What did the wee hag say? She said she wants young cat to stop scraffing the pure wee butties. Is that our Crivens nay problemo? Tiffany put the toad on the table as carefully as possible. What do you eat? she said. It was polite to offer guests food she knew. I've got used to slugs and worms and stuff, said the toad. It wasn't easy. Don't worry if you don't have any. I expect you weren't expecting a toad to drop in. How about some milk? You're very kind. Tiffany fetched some and poured it into a saucer. She watched while the toad crawled in. Were you a handsome prince? she asked. Yeah, right, maybe, said the toad, dribbling milk. So why did Miss Tick put a spell on you? Huh? Ha! <laughs> She couldn't do that, said the toad. It's serious magic, turning someone into a toad but leaving them thinking they're human. No, it was a fairy godmother. Never cross a woman with a star on a stick, young lady. They've got a mean streak. Why did she do it? The toad looked embarrassed. I don't know, it said. It's all a bit foggy. I just know I've been a person. At least I think I know. It gives me the willies. Sometimes I wake up in the night and I think, was I ever really human? Or was I just a toad that got on her nerves and she made me think I was human once? That'd be a real torture, right? Supposing there's nothing for me to turn back into. The toad 
turned worried yellow eyes on her. After all, it can't be very hard to mess with a toad's head, yeah? It must be much simpler than turning, oh, a 160-pound human into eight ounces of toad, yes? After all, where's the rest of the mass going to go, I ask myself. Is it just sort of, you know, left over? Very worrying. I mean, I've got one or two memories of being a human, of course, but what's a memory? Just a thought in your brain. You can't be sure it's real. Honestly, on nights when I've eaten a bad slug, I wake up screaming, except all that comes out is a croak. Thank you for the milk. It was very nice. Tiffany stared in silence at the toad. You know, she said, magic is a lot more complicated than I thought. Flappity, flappity, flap! Cheep, cheep! Ach, poor wee me! Cheepity, cheep! Tiffany ran over to the window. There was a feagle on the path. It had made itself some crude wings out of a piece of rag and a kind of beaky cap out of straw and was wobbling around in a circle like a wounded bird. Ach, cheepity, cheep! Fluttery, flutter! I certainly hope there's no pussycat around! Ach, dearie me! it yelled. And down the path... Ratbag, arch-enemy of all baby birds, slunk closer, dribbling. As Tiffany opened her mouth to yell, he leapt and landed with all four feet on the little man, or at least where the little man had been, because he had somersaulted in mid-air and was now right in front of Ratbag's face and had grabbed a cat ear with each hand. "'Ah, see, you pussycat, scunner that ya!' he yelled. "'Here's a gifty from Twee Birthdays, ya schemey!' He butted the cat hard on the nose. Ratbag spun in the air and landed on his back with his eyes crossed. He squinted in cold terror as the little man leaned down at him and shouted, Cheep! Then he levitated in the way that cats do and became a ginger streak, rocketing down the path through the open door and shooting past Tiffany to hide under the sink. The feagle looked up, grinning, and saw Tiffany. Please don't go, she began quickly, but he went, in a blur. Tiffany's mother was hurrying down the path. Tiffany picked up the toad and put it back in her apron pocket just in time. "'Where is Wentworth? Is he here?' her mother asked urgently. "'Did he come back? Answer me!' "'Didn't he go up to shearing with you, Mum?' said Tiffany, suddenly nervous. She could feel the panic pouring off her mother like smoke. "'We can't find him!' There was a wild look in her mother's eyes. "'I only turned my back for a minute. Are you sure you haven't seen him?' "'But he couldn't come all the way back here.' "'Go and look in the house. Go on!' Mrs. Aching hurried away. Hastily, Tiffany put the toad on the floor and chivied him under the sink. She heard him croak, and Ratbag, mad with fear and bewilderment, came out from under the sink in a whirl of legs and rocketed out of the door. She stood up. Her first shameful thought was, "'He wanted to go up to watch the shearing. "'How could he get lost? "'He went with Mum and Hannah and Fastidia.' And how closely would Fastidia and Hannah watch him with all those young men up there? She tried to pretend that she hadn't thought that, but she was treacherously good at spotting when she was lying. That's the trouble with a brain. It thinks more than you sometimes want it to. But he's never interested in moving far away from people. It's half a mile up the shearing pens, and he doesn't move that fast. After a few feet he flops down and demands sweets but it would be a lot more peaceful around here if he did get lost. There it went again, a nasty, shameful thought which she tried to drown out by getting busy. But first she took some sweets out of the jar as bait and rustled the bag as she ran from room to room. 
She heard boots in the yard as some of the men came down from the shearing sheds, but got on with looking under the beds and in cupboards, even ones so high that a toddler couldn't possibly reach them, and then looked again under beds that she'd already looked under, because it was that kind of search. It was the kind of search where you go and look in the attic, even though the door is always locked. After a few minutes, there were two or three voices outside calling for Wentworth, and she heard her father say, "'Try down by the river!' And that meant he was frantic too, because Wentworth would never walk that far without a bribe. He was not a child who was happy away from sweets. "'It's your fault.' The thought felt like a piece of ice in her mind. "'It's your fault, because you didn't love him very much. He turned up, and you weren't the youngest any more, and you had to have him trailing around after you, and you kept wishing, didn't you, that he'd go away.' "'That's not true,' Tiffany whispered to herself. "'I quite liked him.' Not very much, admittedly. Not all the time. He didn't know how to play properly, and he never did what he was told. You thought it would be better if he did get lost. Anyway, she added in her head, you can't love people all the time when they have a permanently runny nose. And anyway, I wonder... I wish I could find my brother, she said aloud. This seemed to have no effect, but the house was full of people opening and shutting doors and calling out and getting in one another's way, and the feagles were shy, despite many of them having faces like a hatful of knuckles. Don't wish, Miss Tick had said. Do things. She went downstairs. Even some of the women who'd been packing fleeces up at the shearing had come down. They were clustered around her mother, who was sitting at the table, crying. No one noticed Tiffany. That often happened. She slipped into the dairy, closed the door carefully behind her, and leaned down to peer under the sink. The door burst open and her father ran in. He stopped. Tiffany looked up guiltily. "'He can't be under there, girl,' her father said. "'Well, er,' uh, said Tiffany, "'did you look upstairs?' "'Even the attic, Dad.' "'Well,' her father looked panicky and impatient at the same time, "'go and do something.' "'Yes, Dad.' When the door had shut, Tiffany peered under the sink again. "'Are you there, Toad?' "'Very poor pickings under here,' the Toad answered, crawling out. "'You'll keep it very clean, not even a spider.' "'This is urgent,' snapped Tiffany. "'My little brother has gone missing, in broad daylight, "'up on the downs, where you can see for miles.' "'Oh, crope,' said the Toad. "'Pardon?' said Tiffany. "'Er, uh, that was, um, swearing in Toad,' said the Toad. "'Sorry, but—' "'As what's going on got something to do with magic,' said Tiffany. "'It has, hasn't it?' "'I hope it hasn't,' said the Toad. "'But I think it has. "'Have those little men stolen Wentworth?' "'Who, the Feagles? "'They don't steal children.' "'There was something in the way the Toad said it. "'They don't steal.' "'Do you know who has taken my brother, then?' Tiffany demanded. "'No, but they might,' said the Toad. "'Look, Miss Tick told me that you were not to—' "'My brother has been stolen,' said Tiffany sharply. "'Are you going to tell me not to do anything about it?' "'No, but good. "'Where are the Feagles now?' "'Lying low, I expect. "'The place is full of people searching after all, "'but how can I bring them back? "'I need them.' "'Um, Miss Tick said, "'How can I bring them back?' "'Um, you want to bring them back, then?' "'said the Toad, looking mournful. "'Yes.' "'It's just that's something not many people have ever wanted to do,' said the Toad. "'They're not like brownies. 
If you get knack-mack feagles in the house, it's usually best to move away. He sighed. Tell me, is your father a drinking man? He has a beer sometimes, said Tiffany. What's that got to do with anything? Only beer. Well, I'm not supposed to know about what my father calls the special sheep liniment, said Tiffany. Granny Aching used to make it in the old cowshed. Strong stuff, is it? It dissolves spoons, said Tiffany. It's for special occasions. Father says it's not for women because it puts hairs in your chest. Then, if you want to be sure of finding the knack mac go and fetch some, said the toad. It will work, believe me. Five minutes later, Tiffany was ready. Few things are hidden from a quiet child with good eyesight, and she knew where the bottles were stored, and she had one now. The cork was hammered in over a piece of rag, but it was old and she was able to lever it out with the tip of a knife. The fumes made her eyes water. She went to pour some of the golden-brown liquid into a saucer. No! We'll be trampled to death if you do that, said the toad. Just leave the cork off. Fumes rose from the top of the bottle, wavering like the air over rocks on a hot day. She felt a sensation in the dim, cool room of riveted attention. She sat down on a milking stool and said, All right, you can come out now. There were hundreds. They rose up from behind buckets. They lowered themselves on string from the ceiling beams. They sidled sheepishly from behind the cheese racks. They crept out from under the sink. They came out of places where you'd think a man with hair like an orange gone over couldn't possibly hide. They were all about six inches tall and mostly coloured blue, although it was hard to know if that was the actual colour of their skins or just the dye from their tattoos, which covered every inch that wasn't covered with red hair. They wore short kilts, and some wore other bits of clothing too, like skinny waistcoats. A few of them wore rabbits or rat skulls on their heads as a sort of helmet, and every single one of them carried, slung across his back, a sword nearly as big as he was. However, what Tiffany noticed more than anything else was that they were scared of her. Mostly, they were looking at their own feet, which was no errand for the faint-hearted, because their feet were large, dirty, and half tied up with animal skins to make very bad shoes. None of them wanted to look her in the eye. "'You were the people who filled the water buckets,' she said. There was a, a lot of foot-shuffling and coughing and choruses of eyes. "'And the wood box?' There were more eyes. Tiffany glared at them. And what about the sheep? This time they all looked down. Why did you steal the sheep? There was a lot of muttering and nudging, and then one of the tiny men removed his rabbit skull helmet and twiddled it nervously in his hands. We was uh, hungering, mistress, he muttered, but when we kenned it was thine, we did put the beastie back in the fold. They looked so crestfallen that Tiffany took pity on them. I expect you wouldn't have stolen it if you weren't so hungry then, she said. There were several hundred astonished looks. Oh, we would, mistress, said the helmet twiddler. You would? Tiffany sounded so surprised that the twiddler looked around at his colleagues for support. They all nodded. Yes, mistress, we have tea. We are a famously stealing folk, aren't we, lads? What's it we're famous for? Stealing, shouted the blue men. And what else, lads? Fighting. And what else? Drinking. And what else? There was a certain amount of thought about this, but they all reached the same conclusion. Drinking and fighting. And there was somewhat else, 
muttered the twiddler. Ah, yes, tell the hag, lads. Stealing and drinking and fighting, shouted the blue men cheerfully. Tell the wee hag who we are, lads, said the helmet twiddler. There was the scrape of many small swords being drawn and thrust into the air. Knack, mack, feagle, the wee free men, nay king, nay queen, nay lad, nay master, we will not be fooled again. Tiffany stared at them. They were all watching her to see what she was going to do next, and the longer she said nothing, the more worried they became. They lowered their swords, looking embarrassed. "'But we wouldn't dare deny a powerful hag except maybe for a strong drink,' said the twiddler, his helmet spinning desperately in his hands and his eyes on the bottle of special sheep liniment. "'Will you no help us?' "'Help you,' said Tiffany. "'I want you to help me.' "'Someone has taken my brother in broad daylight.' "'Oh, waily, waily, waily,' said the helmet twiddler. "'Ah, oh, she's come, then, she's come a-fetching. "'We're too late, it's the queen.' "'There was only the one of them,' said Tiffany. "'They mean the queen,' said the toad. "'The queen of the hushergob,' shouted the helmet twiddler. "'But his voice was lost in the wails and groans of the knack-mack feagles.' They were pulling at their hair and stamping on the ground and shouting, Alack a day! and Waley, Waley, Waley! The toad was arguing with the helmet twiddler and everyone was getting louder to make themselves heard. Tiffany stood up. Everybody shut up right now, she said. Silence fell, except for a few sniffs and faint wheelies from the back. We was only dreeing our weird mistress, said the helmet twiddler, almost crouching in fear. "'But not in here,' snapped Tiffany, shaking with anger. "'This is a dairy. I have to keep it clean.' "'Um, dreeing your weird means facing your fate,' said the toad. "'Cause if the queen is here, then it means our kelder is weakening fast,' said the helmet twiddler. "'And we'll have no one to look after us.' "'To look after us,' thought Tiffany. Hundreds of tough little men who could each win the worst broken nose contest need someone to look after them. She took a deep breath. My mother's in the house crying, she said, and I don't know how to comfort her, she added to herself. I'm no good at this sort of thing. I never know what I should be saying. Out loud, she said, and she wants him back. Er, a lot, she added, hating to say it. He's her favourite. She pointed to the helmet twiddler, who backed away. First of all, she said, I can't keep thinking of you as the helmet twiddler. So what is your name? A gasp went up from the knack-mack feagles, and Tiffany heard one of them murmur, Aye, she's the hag, sure enough. That's a hag's question. The helmet twiddler looked around at them as if seeking help. We didn't give her names, he muttered. But another feagle somewhere safe at the back said, Weesh, you canny refuse a hag. The little man looked up, very worried. "'I'm the big man of the clan, mistress,' he said. "'And my name it is—' uh, he swallowed. "'Rob anybody feagle, mistress, but I beg you not to use it again me.' The toad was ready for this. "'They think names have magic in them,' he murmured. "'They don't tell them to people in case they're written down.' "'Aye, and put upon complicated documents,' said a feagle. "'And summonses and such things,' said another. "'Or wanted posters,' said another. "'Aye, and bills and affidavits,' said another. "'Writs of distrainment, even!' "'The feagles looked around in panic at the very thought of written-down things. 
They think written words are even more powerful, whispered the toad. They think all writing is magic. Words worry them. See their swords, they glow blue in the presence of lawyers. All right, said Tiffany. We're getting somewhere. I promise not to write his name down. Now, tell me about this queen who's taken Wentworth. Queen of what? Can I say it aloud, mistress? said Rob anybody. She hears her name wherever it's said, and she comes calling. Actually, that's true, said the toad. You do not want to meet her, ever. She's bad. Worse. Just call her the queen. Aye, the queen, said Rob anybody. He looked at Tiffany with bright, worried eyes. You didn't ken of the queen, and you're the wee new granny aching who had these hills in her bones. You didn't ken the ways. She did not show you the ways. You're no a hag. How can this be? You slammed Jenny green teeth and stared the heedless horseman in the eyes he hasn't got, and you didn't ken. Tiffany gave him a brittle smile, and then whispered to the toad, "Who's Ken? And what about his dinner? And what's a wean of Granny Aiken?" "'As far as I can make out,' said the Toad. "'They're amazed that you don't know about the Queen "'and, um, the magical ways, "'what with you being a child of Granny Aking "'and standing up to the monsters. "'Ken means no.' "'And his dinner?' "'Forget about his dinner for now,' said the Toad. "'They thought Granny Aking told you her magic. "'Hold me up to your ear, will you?' "'Tiffany did so, and the Toad whispered.' "'Best not to disappoint them, eh?' "'She swallowed. "'But she never told me about any magic,' she began, and stopped. "'It was true. "'Granny Aking hadn't told her about any magic. "'But she showed people magic every day.'" End of CD 2